Welcome to another edition of the You Should Do Comedy Podcast. I'm your host, Vince Tedesco. With me, uh, a couple of West Coasters, as possibly the biggest showcase of comedy is happening right now in Vancouver. It is called Just for Laughs. Have you heard of it? Yeah, they are taking uh, the streets of Vancouver for the next 10 days or so. Uh, and with me are David Milchard, Ken Lawson of this dynamic comedy musical duo known as Citizen Hurricane. Boys, welcome to the podcast. How are we? I'm well. I'm good. I'm, I'm even better, Vince. You're even better than good. Would that be great? Yeah. Yes, I'm pretty great. Thanks. Or or good with an exclamation point. Oh, wow. That's like the transition between good and great. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, the right. that's more point. accurate. It's the yeah, exclamation I'm a good point. exclamation point. Yeah. <laughs> I've been kind of doing a little research on you guys. I'm kind of loving it. Um, oh, you guys no. are both West Coast based, right? Both born and bred Vancouver. I'm actually <laughs> from Scotland originally, but I've been in, in Vancouver for about 20 years. Wow. And uh, yourself, uh, uh, David? How does it sound now? You sound exactly the same. Oh, I can't hear it's you. No different, David. Well, no, I can't hear you guys. He has a new microphone, David. so he's testing it out. That's great. What a perfect time to do that, right, Vince? Yeah. Well, I mean... If not now, then when? <laughs> Vince, Vince is great. How about now? How many podcasts you got lined up for this morning? I don't know. How many? <laughs> we've got we've got seven podcasts today. Wow. You're, okay. Well, yeah, you're we better the, get this working. You're the test one, Vince. This awesome. I love being the guinea pig. Yeah, yeah for well, sure. I, hey, I, I I followed your orders, Vince, and I selected the sure microphone. So I don't know if it's changed anything at all. But guys, check this out. Look what I got. Hey, oh, yeah. you guys are all He's, pros today. He's got the SMB, the big one. I've got the MV7, half what the you price. Have? You have Mike Envy? <laughs> you know what? I have a lot of envy. First of all, <laughs> I just want to declare. That's just the tip of it. Vince, that that you're my first friend named Vince. Well, thank you. Wow, that's cool. I mean, uh, as much of an, un, it's not uncommon, but it is common. And there are a few famous Vinces out there, but it's not like. Your regular Mike, because everybody knows a Mike, they say. But yeah. I mean, Vince, hey, right? You know, I, I always kind of was fond of my name until I found out like 19 other people had it. And I'm like, okay, it's not that original. You get your Vince well, Vons, your Vincent Prices. Yeah. Well, in my life, in my world, you're original. So there's well, some classic Vince's. My, my name wasn't very cool uh, until last year. Now it's like there's going to be a billion cans in the future i suspect one movie it's all it took if there's a lot of barbies i'd be impressed but i don't think you know i don't know man i think there's gonna be a lot of cans <laughs> the look of shame <laughs> now david and ken this is a duo and i've yes. seen your stuff online i i mean the genesis of you should do comedy and I, as much as i try to branch out from other comics and try to entice people into the world of comedy i do still talk to a lot of comics but the biggest question that obviously comes up is how did this all start where was the origin how did you meet how did the two of you collab into this comedic musical duo known as citizen hurricane who wants to dive in first on that story oh, well, it was 1973 question. when my mom got pregnant awesome good okay 73 good we're somewhat in the same age bracket then david yeah it and that was in England. And then okay. they came to Canada 
And then I grew up in a weird place. And then, Ken, you came to Canada in what year? I came to Canada in 1976 as a young Scottish lad with my family. Ah. Yeah. So we, we were already sensing the other. Awesome. That and your, time. Did your strollers like bump carts on the street somewhere? Well, somewhat, because we, were, we both lived in Ontario as, as kids. You, you, didn't you go to high school there, David, where I went to elementary school and I moved out here? Yeah, I grew up in Deep River, Ontario, north, but not quite as north as where you were when you landed. Atacokan, Ontario, Vince. Atacokan? Wow. Atacokan, close to Thunder Bay. We, we landed in Thunder Bay on British Airways. I still remember getting off the plane and my, my nose just sealing shut and going, <laughs> what the fuck's happening? Usually response to anybody who lands in Thunder yeah. Bay. Uh, yeah, and yeah. then the, the, the move to Vancouver was when? Well, for me, it was about 20 years ago. Uh, I came down here for uh, film and TV stuff, and that's worked out super well. Okay. Hey, I mean, it is kind of booming still. Uh, you know, well, post-pandemic, well, as they say. Genuinely, the reason I moved to Vancouver was because uh, I, I hurt my hand. I played in bands all my life, and... I, you know, I used to play bar bands when I was in high school and shit, and I hurt my hand. So uh, I, I, and I started watching Whose Line Is It Anyway with, you know, Colin Ryan and all those guys. The and while my hand was the hurt, British one. The, the British one. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah. And uh, so I saw a local, I was in Kamloops, British Columbia, and I, I saw an ad for an improv class, took it. And at the end of the class, the instructor asked me to join her improv troupe. Uh, and uh, then after, I went to I, one class after one class. That that's that's the sort of natural talent. Yeah. They, that weren't, the they weren't very good of the career. That was they the, weren't very good. Yeah, that was so it. If they, if they needed me after one class, that that I, I mean, God bless them for taking me in. And then yeah, I started yeah. going to classes in Vancouver, and uh, and so I moved to Vancouver to get into the onto the main stage in Vancouver Theater Sports, and that's where David and I met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a very similar story. I lived in, uh, I moved out to Vancouver, which really was Whistler, because I wanted to ski and mountain bike for a few years and enjoy all that. And then I saw Whose Line Is It Anyways on my lunch breaks when I was working in a hotel. And I thought maybe I could do that. And then I moved to Vancouver, took some classes, auditioned, and, and got in uh, at Vancouver Theatre Sports, uh, where Colin Mockery and Ryan Stiles had their formative years and honed their craft. And that's where uh, Ken and I met. And, and since then, we've been trying all sorts of different fun things. Now, your act essentially is the two of you, obviously, with, with instruments, music, you guys both play guitar and stuff, and, and, and very inspired by whose lines, so a lot of improv is involved. Um, needless to say, with the comedic background that both of you have, do you find, and I'm not saying this is is in any way you know, uh, some sort of, you know, hierarchy between the two of you, but does someone usually take the lead or is it all strictly sort of what comes to mind first? I mean, the comedic brain works immensely fast. And when you have a partner on stage that you sort of jive with and, 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 and can spitball and, and, you know, the, the synchronicity and the chemistry works so well together is there someone that needs to sort of take a lead, follow suit, set a place, set a presence, and the other one just goes, I know exactly where he's going with this. Let's follow suit and go ahead and dive in. Does someone take a lead at any point? I think we take turns in taking a lead. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we, 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 the first time we had something kind of like this, we, we started a, 
Uh, we did a show years ago called Improv. Uh, not Improv, Jesus. Wow. It was called Improv, Vince. It was called Mirage, the world's greatest improvised. What was it called, David? What was the tagline? Uh, it was Mirage, the world's greatest improvised rock and roll band in the world. Yeah, well, wow, we just okay. played a, a, we played a, a an English uh, rock band and we just went on stage and it was like a fucking reunion and, and <laughs> took uh, requests from the audience and then played songs. So this sort of evolved out of this uh, during the pandemic, basically to save our souls. We just started mm -hmm. live streaming and it evolved out of that. But I think we've always um, had a really great trust in each other. We've been doing this for a long time. And whoever's got something, the other just sort of goes, okay, I'm right there with you. Where are we going with this? And the same is true of musically. One of us will start something and other will just follow. David will start playing some chords. I'll I'll quickly see what key's in. Or I'll start playing some chords and then David will start playing those similar chords and start singing some shit. So I think it's really, uh, uh, depends on the moment, I think. I mean, improv is, I think often sometimes best described as it's like uh, tennis. You, you hit the ball back and forth. You have to, you know, right. share... Uh, share the ball in order to actually play tennis if you had no one there the ball would never come back so we actually i thought it's happening quite a lot it just depends on what's happening in the moment who who serves the ball first so it's not just communically it's musically as well you guys are musical improvs on the spot coming up with with songs wow okay now that i i, I haven't seen because usually when it's something you know musically it's sort of prepared or you have a song or you know, you, you'll maybe change up the words depending on what the audience has kind of given you and you kind of make it fit. But even musically on stage, it's all improvised. That is, that's it makes no sense. It makes, it makes no, no sense. sense. Yeah. We should now, be doing this show. It's it's actually quite a scary show. You know, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's the most artistically satisfying show that I've ever done because it's like, oh boy, uh, we're, we're doing what? Okay. Let's see how this goes. But, you know, just in classic improv style, the way that it works best is if if David and I are really listening to each other and really connected to each other and trust each other, that's the best chance for working really well. And, uh, and it's exciting, but also scary because uh, because of what it is. Yeah, you're working yeah, without I mean, a sometimes... net much. <laughs> yeah, there's no net at all. Yeah. No net I at mean, all. Some... <laughs> nothing we don't know we we sometimes have like a road map of what we're doing like here's kind of a bit um like we've got some some bits now and we'll improvise those bits like there's even a couple tunes where there's like a standard chord structure but most of the songs are uh completely improvised i don't know what chords or anything we're gonna do and we do have uh now a couple tunes that are that we've written um so we're starting to sort of do a blend of of all of those things what no, no. I, I always like to say, what happens is we start with an, a, some, a roadmap to follow, to give, which we almost never follow because what happens in the room, in the theater, uh, from the interaction with the audience, uh, shifts it and we go down a different road. And then, you know, sure, we might say, oh, well, let's explore this thing uh, because we did this, you know, before and it was fun. Almost 90% of the time, there's something different happens. And then now you're, you're playing a totally different song. Now you're, improvising a, a completely different scene we're riffing with the audience about totally something that we completely unexpected so you you prepare but it, it goes out the window pretty quick so on any given night on any given set do you know what you're going to open with and close with or right from the get-go it's whatever comes up good question yeah so we've got an opening song okay. uh that's that we did uh years ago i mean before we, like we did just did a show and 
in Regina. And it took us 12 minutes of interacting and making up songs with the audience before we got to our opening song. So even that <laughs> is like, and then we were like halfway through the first set, first half, at the end of our opening song, we'd already finished half of the first half yeah. because we just found something and, and one of us started singing a thing about something that was happening in the theater. So wow, it's pretty loose. Yeah. But that's what makes it <laughs> our, so exciting our, though. Our written song is called the contract song. The contract song. Yeah. yeah so, so we get everyone, the audience. To, yeah. Yeah. So everyone is, knows that they're legally obliged to have a good time with us tonight and that uh, there'll be no suing involved. Ah, okay. And this is all stipulated with conditions in the song. That's right. Yeah. We get them to sing uh, I do. Um, <laughs> I do, do, do. I do, do, do. So by the end of it, they'd have agreed that no matter what we say, they can't do anything about it. There's been an oral agreement. Genius, boys. Genius. Thanks. Now, between Thanks the so two much. of you, I must ask, whose brain pushes the limit the furthest? Who's who's on the darker side of comedy? Does anyone kind of stretch it? Does anyone kind of pull back? Is there a good cop, bad cop mentality between the two of you with the audience? How much fun do you get to have on stage? I think both of us stretch it in different ways. Explain. Okay, that's what I want to get to. Like, I, I want to individually, if you had to do a show, what would your brand of comedy be? How would you describe it? Because together, okay. obviously, like you've created something so unique. Well, I think that uh, Ken, I think what Ken does is is Ken will will take something, uh, you know, relative, like just take almost anything and then want to ex explore it uh, uh, to the extreme. Uh, and and attack whatever that song might be about, or attack whatever the conversation might be about, based on it could be the, like the, the littlest thing. I think I think can maybe what I like to do sometimes to the maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. It's like I really like to find some nuggets in there, and I'm willing to grind the show to a halt to get it. <laughs> grind it to Ain't a that halt. the truth, Vince? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Like to a point where the audience has no idea where you're going. Like, how much of a halt do you mean? Um, I, I, I think like, uh, I think what I strive for is authenticity with with all the moments. So I'm whenever we interact with the audience, I'm striving to get actual genuine responses because often when you do an improvised show, you get um people trying to be funny. Oh, hundred percent. So I, yeah. I think um, truer authentic responses and conversations actually offer greater comedy and way more uh, meat to the sandwich than superficial uh, interactions. Which is what I'm all about. Yeah. Ken's all about uh, superficial. Can, can what like, <laughs> yeah. like what's one of the your artificial. favorite questions? One of my, I don't have any favorite questions. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually don't really, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't need to know details from audience members. I just want to hear a, th a word, and get really <laughs> freaky with that word. So, how 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 well do you dive into the audience? Do you sort of pick on a couple or a person, someone with unique profession? Because the typical Second City or improv troops is like, we have a location, and someone mm -hmm. says mm -hmm. Starbucks, and then it's you know, give me a job, and it's like uh, night shift manager. Is it? I'm assuming it's none of the cliche improv. So. Do we dive into the lives of the audience? Do we get to know them on some sort of, I mean, it's essentially what you're doing is crowd work for any standup that you could bear. That's right. You're doing the crowd work and you're implementing that crowd work. And now instead of that standup comic using crowd work to 
trigger a joke that he may have preset in his catalog of material. You're yeah. using it as the focal point. That's right. Essentially to build right there in the spot, a brand new bit. Yeah. 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 You, you, you described our show better than we've ever been able to describe it. Vince. <laughs> if, if you can send us uh, yeah, a please. transcript. Good God. Finally, David, someone that described <laughs> what we do that makes sense. <laughs> That really oh, was description. Vince, you're a goddamn genius. <laughs> but that, well, that's mean, it. I'm, I'm you, not... you, you nailed it. Yeah, well, you know, I, one, I... one of the one of the one of the questions that, that we once asked at a, a song we were doing on a show called uh, Paul Paul Anthony's Talent Time in Vancouver at the Rio Theater was, um, who was your favorite, your mother or your father? Uh, and and someone answered. Her name happened to be Asia, and we ended up singing this song called Daddy is Your Favorite. And it still haunts me to this day. <laughs> but it was just so fun. And it was just such a real moment of her sharing why her father was her favorite out of her parents. And it wasn't that she disliked her mom. But I think that's what you mean, David, when you talk about authentic, where people, you know, without them being revealing something traumatic in the audience, that they reveal something about themselves that's actually very real, that people go, oh, wow, that's actually a very... Um, vulnerable thing for someone to say and then we take it and fuck with it yeah i mean like here's another example we we um you know ken and i often make mistakes as do many people in their lives and sometimes well, one you can't of us help, does. but you can't help but judge yourself and think you're dumb so we try and get the audience uh from time to time to you know it doesn't it depends on what's happening in the show but if something dumb happens we highlight the dumbness and then we ask other audience members to share their dumbness and then we sing about how, how dumb they are. Wow. You could almost and, add therapists to your reel of, you know, resume, comedic resumes on stage. I mean, you're uh, in a way comedic therapist. You're, you're, you're getting people to unleash the dark parts of their soul where we can laugh about it collectively as this little true. entwined community and, and, yeah. and, and heal from it through your comedy. <laughs> That's, well, again, I can't do PR. <laughs> We are healers. I mean, for for example, again, in where was it, Regina or Saskatoon, David, where we did that. So that's one of the bits. It's called How Dumb, How Dumb Are Ya? And we sing that to the audience and the whole audience ends up singing along How Dumb Are Ya? to the person that revealed this dumb piece of information. But we had someone reveal that 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 they used to, with their friends, go out in a field uh, with targets on pieces of cardboard and they'd shoot arrows up into the air and they'd try and run under the arrow with pieces of tar cardboard with targets to get the arrow to hit their cardboard in front of their chest. Uh, so we just get people What's to this reveal our cardboard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How dumb were they? How dumb I mean, are you? But, it, but the audience was gasping. Would, yeah. That's no. why there's a, a small population in uh, Saskatchewan. Yeah. Well, the next question I want to ask essentially, is there a certain part of the country where these golden nuggets thrive the best? Not to out any provincial sort of region, but I mean, why not? We're might as well doing it right here. Would it be middle uh, middle Canada? Oh boy, yeah. Uh, That's a we don't want to. We don't want to isolate any of our potential destinations, Vince. Oh, okay. okay. That's right. We, 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 we're, we're apolitical. <laughs> we are. We are. Well, we want. Everyone it's interesting though. It's interesting, but it's such a great point, though, Vince, because because as I'm sure you know, in different parts of the country, we live in Vancouver. You tend to forget that not everyone is like your city. 
like Vancouver exactly. is pretty, pretty extremely liberal and, you know, have a certain way of thinking, certain beliefs are uh, in the ethos, in the atmosphere. And when you go to small town Canada, it's, it's often quite different. The sensitivity sometimes that folks might have, uh, and maybe rightly so in bigger, uh, more liberal centers, aren't always there in smaller centers. So that's always fascinating to me. Um, right. I, yeah, I, I, I quite like that. So people often are prone to say different things that they might not say in a bigger center. So and I, also, I enjoy that. I, I, I like that. To add on to that, sometimes the smaller centers uh, tend to be far more uh, interactive uh, mm -hmm. because they're out, they're having a good time. There's something different to come to town. Whereas some of the bigger centers, there's perhaps a little bit more, um, who are you? Uh, try and make me laugh maybe a little bit because they're subject to um, many more options of entertainment. So like uh, the, the smaller towns can often be a lot, a, a lot of fun because they get on board pretty quick sometimes and, and play around with us. Well, those are your true comedy fans. Unlike places that you mentioned, AKA Toronto. Uh, yeah. That, that stigma still, still lives here. And a lot of comics get tested because they think they do great in Toronto comedy clubs. But then you put them in small towns and oh boy, what a shock do they get? Right. It's like, what do you mean? My TTC jokes don't work out here. My, uh, yeah. it's like, yeah, no, they don't. They don't. Um, for you guys, yeah. uh, as far as citizen hurricane, great name, by the way, uh, have been around and been moving and been touring. Um, how much love and support do you get from sort of the fans for, uh, I mean, are requests shouted out or do people, uh, are, are fond of sort of certain, gags that you do on stage that they, they want to see them again? Or is every show quietly unique to every audience? Well, I think part of that is to this particular act is relatively new. We started touring this, good Lord, David, like just a year and a half ago, two years ago. Okay. This well, particular we, act. Yeah, yeah, we tried touring and then there was flooding and then we tied touring, uh, tried touring and then there was forest fires. So, uh, and all during the pandemic, uh, but we started actually doing this version of the show on a live stream would have been yeah. 2021 yeah. on live stream. Like, yeah. yeah, that's how it started. It, we started doing that because we couldn't do shows. Right. Um, and um, so we, we set up plexiglass around us. Uh, we sang and did live streams um, to, uh, I have, I have a YouTube channel called uh, conversations with my two year old slash it's also called convos tv so we would do a live stream on there uh just as ken alluded to earlier to save our souls during the pandemic and and do something fun and creative and 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 you know try and connect with a group of people which is what comedy and improv is it's getting a bunch of people together and having an experience together and, and have fun so we did that and then once we were permitted to start touring um we we proceeded to to, to do lower mainland and then like some places in central BC. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it is pretty new. I guess 2022 would be our first official show on the road, so to speak. So we haven't even been around that long. Um, so all the listeners out there demand us in Ontario and we'll come. Well, there you go. You're making your mark with Just for Laughs Vancouver uh, this fa this past weekend and this year's festival. Any site set? Like, what's the next big chunk of the cake you want? Is it is it the flagship of Montreal coming for 
the summer? Is it, yes, maybe some more shows in Ontario? What's next for Citizen Hurricane? Or where do you have your eyes locked on? Well, we, we kind of produce our own shows mostly um, because we are, you know, we're, our show can be anywhere from like 75 minutes to an hour and a half. So we're not a, we're not necessarily an easy fit for a traditional comedy club. That said, we do 15-minute sets, 20-minute sets, 30-minute sets. We can do that. But when people don't know what you quite do and you have to, you know, take up a bunch of stage time, it's a little bit harder to sort of hit the normal route. To do JFL Montreal would be incredible. I did I did that years ago with the uh, with the YouTube series um, way back. That was twenty I don't know twenty sixteen or or seventeen or something like that. Um, but to take this show there would be amazing. I think it would be. I think the Montreal crowd would really really enjoy it because it's playful and silly and 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 all that. Yeah, they yeah that that would be awesome, and and we've got our uh, P two visas to do. We've been doing shows in the states too, so we hey, really right need to dig more in there. So that's that's been really great. Yeah, we just got back from doing a show in Kirkland down by Seattle, and that was wicked. I love American audiences. I find uh, American audiences in some ways almost like small town Canada. They're there to have a good time, and I feel like that happens right away, which I really love. It. I find them. I, I find they get it, and they're super enthusiastic, and they're just kind of there to party and like, okay, let's party. I, I, I love that about uh, America. I've had this discussion with many comics before on this podcast where they. Mm. They love the Canadian comedy scene, but I mean, you ask them, oh, I saw this great comic last night. It was, so I laughed my ass off. It was so funny. What was their name? So, uh, 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 was, there, was it Joe's? Uh, Jim? Uh, uh, no clue. But until you get that American cred to your name, until you, uh, you know, attract the American audiences, then the Canadian crowds all of a sudden is like, oh, we know they're Canadian. We know them. Of yeah. course they are. And it's this ongoing struggle I have. I'm like, Give them the love and support that they need here. And right. maybe they don't have to go to the States because there's enough for everybody. But clearly, I don't know what it is. It's it's like a stamp of approval that you need south of the border to deem yeah. you famous, popular, funny, whatever the case it may be. It's our entertainment level has a ceiling where the Americans is woo, as far as you need to go, the heavens, if you need to reach them, we will get you there. And it's the support that, like you say, American audiences have, which is very much comparable to small town Canada, because they don't get this entertainment rolling in as these metropolises like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal are sort of privileged to have. And we kind of, eh, I mean, it's another comedy show. I can go catch a movie and I can go do this. And there's so many more options, as you said, David, as well. Uh, we've reached a portion of this podcast where I like to call it the rapid fire of uh, of questionnaires, a rundown of questions, if you will. Uh, I always say rapid fire, and I always say this at the end of every podcast, because as soon as I ask a question, someone gives an answer, and I'm like, what? That's your And a side topic ensues. So we will try to do it's this like rapid show. fire. Huh? It's like our show. It, exactly. It's like it's exactly like your show. Favorite comedic influence growing up, Ken. I'd probably say Steve Martin. He was one of the first guys I'd ever seen in the movie that was just so ridiculous. And I was like, oh, look at this adult with kind of white hair. He's ridiculous. So that would be my I big totally one see that. kid. For you, David? Well, I would I would have said the same thing, but I'll also say Robin Williams and Monty Python. Uh, Monty Python, a classic. 
David, for you. Uh, favorite comedic movie growing up that you can still watch today? Like whenever it's on, you just throw away the remote and you always have a laugh watching it. I wouldn't say it's growing up because uh, it was a bit later, but Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber? Ken? Uh, probably uh, The Holy Grail. Monty Python's Holy Grail. <laughs> Look at you. It's like a nice little tennis match you guys are having back and forth. Yeah. Uh, favorite club to perform at? This is up for both of you guys. So, I mean, I know you guys are Vancouver-based. So, is there something you guys call home base? Well, I mean, we perform. Uh, uh, I'm going to plug my own comedy club. The comedy Do it, department. buddy. Yeah. What was it, David? It's called the Comedy Department. We have a, uh, I run a comedy room uh, every Saturday, downtown Vancouver. Awesome. The Comedy Department. Like the Comedy Depot? As you rival with Home Depot? <laughs> yeah. You, you come in, it's wholesale comedy, uh, big bulk. Comedy supplies. Can never find an employee. You always got to ask questions. <laughs> uh, the one thing you can't live without, Ken. Guitar. David? I should say my wife, but I'm going to say Rizzo. Oh, that's God. my dog. Oh, yeah. my dog. okay. Hey. Uh, burger or hot dog, David? Burger. Ken? Total burger. Total burger, favorite topping? Pickle. A good sour tart pickle. Oh, really? You yeah, know, I'm a bread and butter kind of guy, but I'll go ahead. Ken, what about you? Favorite topping? It's going to be a straight uh, raw onions. Oh, I'm a caramelized onions guy. See? Yeah, I see. I thought I was until In-N-Out Burger. I tried with the raw onions and a, like a teen burger. I just had an American A&W teen burger. They don't call it there. Raw onions, right. tons of them. God, it was so tasty. Yeah. Look at that. I can just say I'm not a fan of his fan of raw onions. You're not a fan of his fan of raw onions. Okay. I mean, hey, to each their own. Your diarrhea. Uh, favorite, or let's just put it this way. If you were able to replace your kitchen in your home with yeah. any fast food restaurant. We're talking breakfast, lunch, and dinner, even the midnight wow. snacks. What would that restaurant be? Let's go with David. Oh, it has to be fast food. Fast food. David. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that's the most of them. You're going to give me some little insignificant. Okay. All right. Fast food. I, I guess, I guess I would go, I guess I'd probably go with A&W slash Subway. Can you put them two together? Are A and W and like I know Taco Bell and KFC were paired up at one point. No. <laughs> you want to go A and W? So A does A and W do breakfast? They do do breakfast actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, A and W slash Subway. Ken. Yeah. yeah, I think we've actually being on the road a lot with other acts and our acts. We've talked about this a lot. So it's A and W because good food makes good food. I'm a, such a sucker for advertising. They they oh. use organic beef. Or not organic, grass-fed, so it's, I, I, I get sucked into that. However, in America, it's different. It's not the same. We tried it this past weekend, and it was even more delicious without the grass-fed beef. Look at us, eh? And we should pay us money right now. They Favorite or yeah. first, sorry, first celebrity crush? Ken. Celebrity crush. It would be one of Charlie's angels. Jacqueline Ooh. Smith. Thank you very much. I can't remember the other one's name, the other brunette. What was her name? And then it was Farrah Fawcett, Kate, obviously. Kate, someone. Jacqueline Smith. Was she like the posh one? Uh, and Jacqueline Smith was more, no, the, the Kate something was the like the tomboy-esque one, right? Yeah, Kate one, Kate had short hair. Jacqueline had long hair. Ah. And uh, and David, for you, your first celebrity Sandra crush? Bullock. Sandra, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. I that's, didn't know that's, that. that's a while back. 
Yeah. What? Like, what? Hey, That's a little bit of an older crush. Yeah. Well, Jack like, Smith's much was much like older. A, like, like Sandra, like more of a teenage crush, you know, like oh, not like a, a preteen crush. You didn't have a preteen crush. You didn't have a childhood crush. Well, I, I, I would. It would probably would have been. Uh, and I'm blanking on her name. Uh, remember T.J. Hooker with with Shatner? Yeah. Who was yeah. The, the, the the beautiful woman? Fair Fawcett. No. Um. Not. Fair Fawcett. No, probably. Um, what? What's her name? Yeah, I, I know, right? Blanking on her name. Cheryl Teagues. Was it Cheryl Teagues? No, I don't think so. But it, it seems well, like it's a. As it's soon a as we say it, we'll role. remember it. I'm never gonna, I remember I'm the never other guy who was like Ahmad Razad or something. No, no, that's Ahmad Rashad. He did the NBA. Uh, what was his name? He was also in Bachelor Party. He played the best friend. <laughs> Felicia Rashad. Felicia Rashad was the mother on uh, the Cosby Don't show. Don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, God. She wasn't in TJ Hook. <laughs> See how much fun trying to remember names is? But now with Google, you just go to your phone. Um, I, I mean, I hey, I hear you, but in the moment now of podcasting, who has who has the time? Um, the last time you threw up, David. Oh wow! <laughs> and I'm not talking about oh, I had COVID, oh, it was an illness. I'm talking about when were you sloshed? Oh wow! Oh, that is. Now we're thinking, kids. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was definitely before, like, throwing up from a bit too much would have been, it's pre-pandemic for me, for sure. Uh, the good old I just days, can't God remember bless the, him. I can't remember the event. It might have been me for my my buddy Bill Minsky's uh, stag party. Hey, um, shout out to Bill. Yeah, Bill Minsky. And I also wouldn't, <laughs> God, I don't think I've ever told anyone this. I uh, took a turd. And uh, uh, at his place, and or at his friend's place, and I thought it was funny to not let anyone flush it. I don't know why. I, that's all I remember. I was I was so drunk. I don't know. I, yeah, you I left don't the know. floater. Yeah, I, but I was I was pretending to really love it, and that it was my pet, and I didn't want him to flush it. It was just stupid. But then I barfed. So you're talking about who pushes boundaries and goes to darker places? There's your answer. There we go. Perfect. Now, I, I'm assuming because you didn't want to flush it, it was one of the good, clean kind of work of art turds that looks so like almost like the emoji itself. Very, you know, ice cream kind of sprinkle, Mr. Frosty yeah. sort of esque. Well, the, the whole night is, is pretty fuzzy. So okay. uh, it could have been the exact opposite of that. <laughs> A Jackson Pollock that you thought was a work of art. <laughs> Jackson Pollock, yeah, yeah, might have been. Uh, who? Jackson Pollock. Uh, is the only artist that I would... He's the most surprising artist of my life. I remember going to the MoMA in New York and just, okay, Jackson Pollock. Oh, God, Jackson Pollock. <laughs> Moving. So I'd be proud to shoot a Jackson Pollock out of my ass. Nice. That's a clip that will live on forever, I think. That sound bite? Good. I'm happy to hear that because I also Perfect. do leadership development. So that's going to help my other career. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's quite it's an insult and a compliment all at the same time. It's incredible. Um, the way I like to kind of wrap it all up and a little homage to sort of the industry and your journey through it all. The best advice you ever got in this industry. Well, I, I'm going to go to when I learned how to do improv, which was be obvious. Just okay. Just be obvious. Don't be oh, clever. Be obvious. Just be obvious. And for you, Ken? 
Be clever. Be clever. Such be better. <laughs> be better. Be clever and be obvious. Be obviously clever. <laughs> no, for obviously you got to be clever, and obviously for, you got to be of, obvious. For one of mine, uh, he was the executive director of Vancouver Theater Sports, and and it, and it's. It's it's I've been talking about it recently. David and I talked about it in the way back from some show in the States. And it was uh let the audience come to you. I thought that oh. was really great. Yeah. Well, uh, you don't always need to go and, and seek out their love. There's real power in that and letting them come to you and having confidence to do that. Well, that was sort of, you know, very well said. I mean, that's sort of kind of how you guys carry yourselves today, wouldn't you say? Thanks. I, I I hope it's not a. I hope it's more that than than a Pollock shooting out of our asses. <laughs> um, gentlemen, I, I I thank you for your time. I I wish you the best thank of luck you. with JFL Vancouver. I hope to God you guys make it to Ontario sometime soon. Uh, it's been a pleasure kind of picking both your comedic brains, the intellectual artistry that you two of you have, but more importantly, just this dynamic duo you guys create with Citizen Hurricane that um. I guess graces the stage in the most absurd but obvious and <laughs> don't be clever uh, and be clever. and clever uh, that's it the most obvious and clever way you guys can creating the most comedic Jackson Pollocks you guys have ever been a part of and that's the a... woman on TJ Hooker I just looked it up was Heather Locklear how did we miss there that boys Heather Locklear. That Heather was the Locklear. blonde on TJ Hooker. Wasn't she married to, to Tommy Lee from Motley Crue? And Richie Zambor from John Bon Jovi. There you go. Yeah. So, Vince, can I just say that we should be hiring you to do our marketing because a comedic <laughs> Jackson Pollock is actually also a great way to describe our show. It's, oh, yeah. I'm, the more and more I think about it, I mean, you get everything in that. You get the nuggets, the raisins, the everything, just the whole kit and caboodle. The raisins. The life problems of the studio audience, the <laughs> uh, absurd random thought process of you two to create this, yes, this comedic Jackson Pollock. You have shows this weekend, February 23rd through the 25th, I believe. Well, actually, I guess we kind of do. We have two shows on February 23rd at 7.30 and 9.30 p.m. at uh, the show cellar slash the comedy department, downtown Vancouver, uh, part of JFL, obviously. And then bar. we're also, uh, we're doing, uh, I'm not sure how to describe what we're doing. We're doing another show on Saturday before. Oh, yeah, right. Right. We're doing like. Wanda Sykes. We're not we're, the opening act, but we're kind of like we're welcoming people as they come to the QE, which is a big theater. Where uh, who's playing that night? Ronnie. So it's Ronnie. Is it Chiang? C H I N G. Oh, love yeah, Ronnie Chiang. Yeah. And and uh, and Wanda Sykes. So we're playing between both of them, between wow. Wanda and Ron and Ronnie Chiang outside in a tent. Hey, but we're playing between them. Interlude. Outside the venues, so people will see us as they're about to experience both of those. So good luck, Ronnie and Wanda. After people yeah. have seen us, yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's like your their national anthem for the night. Yeah, yeah. Much, right? their national anthem. You don't start an event without singing the national anthem, and you shouldn't go to a comedy show without seeing Dave and Ken of Citizen Hurricane. You guys are killing it. Thank you so much for your time today, boys. Uh, I hope to catch you guys soon enough live and in person when we can all meet again and create our own little Jackson Pollock of comedy. Uh, boys, thank you so much for your time today. 
Thank Thanks, you. Man, it's a pleasure. It was awesome. Awesome. Welcome back to another edition of You Should Do Comedy with me right now. Vancouver-based comedian who has been making waves across the entire country with Indigenous comedy, Miss Debbie Corshane. Debbie, how are we doing? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing, I'm doing okay. I'm kind of getting into this whole sort of um, the Indigenous look on, on the comedic factor because A, you're not the first comic, and obviously there are, are many of you, but the whole world of Indigenous comedy, people, I don't know if they get put off by it or they just don't understand it, but like every other culture, creed, there is comedy to be had whether it's asian comedy italian comedy jewish comedy like they, they focus on a certain culture i mean do you ever get kind of pigeonholed into that kind of frame as well with oh yeah comedy yeah yeah i got called a cultural producer once and i was like okay so does that make all white comedy shows cultural shows cultural producer a cultural producer yeah so that was that was a good slap <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that's kind of what the norm should be, is that it's just like any other culture, like any other creed, as as I was mentioning. So how long is sort of uh, your platform in DigiGirl Comedy, which is kind of a cool play on words, how long has that been going on for? Uh, we've been at it for like three years now. Uh, and so like we've started as an initiative to like dig out all the Indigenous women that are in the circuit and uh well like because i only saw like one or two and i i thought i saw like a gap i'm like oh there should be more representative women getting into comedy but i know that a lot of people are just like afraid of getting out there because of like the horror stories of how the way women are treated and so that's what caused me to create the the digi girls to create more space for indigenous women to play in comedy and play with the ideas uh, in safe spaces so like with other indigenous women that understand them so that we could all actually grow our comedy in a way that's like accessible now when you mean safe spaces and and, and part of the culture are you talking about you know specifically indigenous culture or even the comedy scene in general not to be accepted as you know a woman in comedy uh, both. So Indigirl is specific to Indigenous women. So we only have like Indigenous women per se, um, because indigeneity is such a like big scope. There's there's so many different types of Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also have like open mic initiatives for just women in general who want to have place to go up and stand and practice their comedy in front of crowds. Well, that's cool. Now you've taken this across Canada here. Yeah, so originally we started in Toronto uh, just after the pandemic. So we did a little sketch show instead of stand-up. Uh, but as soon as we were allowed, we were uh, we were up at the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, like showcasing hey. uh, women there. And then we moved on to Saskatoon, which was amazing. Was, I really want to go back. It's like the, the oppression there makes everything so much funnier. <laughs> and just like... Like the fact that you can get a bunch of native people in a room to like laugh and enjoy themselves, like creates this like such a magical feeling. It was so powerful. Uh, and then we've done Vancouver quite a few times and we went up to Whitehorse. And so we have a few initiatives to go back up to Whitehorse. And now we're looking at uh, Edmund haven't reached the Albertan women, the Blackfoot and the who else is there? Crees. Crees are everywhere. Well, that's. The funny thing that you mentioned there, there when you say like we started in Toronto and you end up, you kind of, you know, there's the hot spots throughout Canada, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, even Calgary. But when you hit the Manitobas, the Saskatchewans, the White Horses, it's the smaller communities that I think 
and this tends to happen not with indigenous comedy, but with all comedy, just because it doesn't reach those areas on a regular. So it's more of an event. You get that sort of passionate crowd that wants to come out and wants to laugh and wants to embrace everything that you're doing because of the fact that they don't get that on, on the normal or, or, or maybe a production like yours that comes out and gets to showcase like that. How much love and support do you get from those small communities? Uh, we've sold out every single show so far. So. There you go. I mean, hey, <laughs> hey you can't, can't, can't screw up with a good thing going, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you find the difference in cultures based on how north you go within within the country or do you kind of keep it kind of closer to the border and try to also tap into a, more of an American crowd as well? Um, it's, it's pretty ubiquitous uh, because like, indigeneity there's like a pan-indianism that you can like adhere to so different groups mm -hmm. of indigenous people will still have same like terms and understandings that make it easier to to reach those audiences but we do have a lot of people uh traveling into the city to come see the show so like we're still reaching um like res country to get those people out you know and a part of that is like actually having women from the communities come out so we are like picking uh women that are are like in duck bay and and are living on the reserve and have like that thick res accent as well as like urban indigenous people who have access to to these kind of uh rooms for, for your comedy background essentially how long have you been is it more stand-up based or sketch based because i know you said you started with sort of a sketch show and i know you also do workshops as well so is it more evolving the stand-up culture or is it more involving the sketch culture in comedy it's more stand-up we do more stand-up workshops uh the sketch comedy came out of um i put it towards the the women that were in the workshop in toronto i was like do you want to do stand-up or do you want to do sketch and so they were excited to do sketch. So I kept that initiative with them. Um, they're currently writing for another show for Sketchfest to be put on um, March 15th, I believe. Yeah. Uh, they're called the Indian Act. So it's like a group of women that have got together. There's just four women. But the rest of the initiative is like 45. We've reached like 45 different women to do stand-up workshops. Uh, my experience, I've been just been doing stand up for the three years and then I've been facilitating workshops during that time. Now, is your stories like everyone else's where you kind of how you got into it, you kind of started, people thought you were funny and then you like hit an open mic and then you instantly sort of fell in love with it when you got on stage or what's the origin story of Debbie? Uh, yeah, I think I got into comedy because my dad was always like, what are you what are your jokes? What do you, you got jokes for me? Are you practicing your jokes? And <laughs> so like, it was just like phone calls with my dad, like every day, every week being like, Oh, what jokes do you have? And then I, uh, that's what started my, my uh, desire to get into comedy. It's just like talking with my dad and sharing jokes. And then so I just decided um like before the pandemic i'm like all right i'm just gonna bite the bullet and go and get into stand-up and then the pandemic happened and so then yeah. it just it kind of fell apart and so then once everything started to slowly piece back together i started figuring out i'm like okay well who can i have who can i put on the stage that will make me feel okay to get up and do it you know and so then and then we found like a group of ragtag women that were just like, yeah, I'm so into that. And then we got up, we all practiced and like the laughs were 
amazing. And then, yeah, just from there, I was just like, all right, let's keep going. Like, who can I bring? Who wants to keep going? So that's it. You started kind of started a movement. Yeah. Now, the show that you're currently working on now is Caught in the Trap Line, and it's with yeah. JFL Vancouver. Uh, you guys have a performance tonight, and then you're also going into next week as well with some other shows. But uh, this is more, what is it, like horrible dating stories, love stories. It's kind of like a perspective of, of, of essentially failed love, or, I mean, is it just horror stories all the way around? Or Talk, talk to a, me about this. It's a mix. Like, uh, I'm shacked up. I'm happily shacked up. Uh, so it's like there's a few women that are like not dating. Some are dating. Some are like in relationships. So it's like a mishmash of it. And so I, cause it was around Valentine's. So I was like, let's just talk about love. You know, let's just put all of our, uh, our horrible and our good jokes out there of, of what, uh, what love looks like as a uh, indigenous women. Right. And cause like for me, even dating is scary, you know, like you don't know who's you're going to go out with and what you're going to encounter. And like, as an indigenous woman, it's like, you're always on the, um, like trying to be cautious of people who are going to attack you or violence is going to come towards you. So it's like right. a, dating is like a really scary topic to broach, you know, because like you don't know if you go out with somebody and if you're going to end up back home or not. Right. So like it's, you know, yeah, so it's, it's like it's, scary all the way around. I hear, I hear you. I it's hear a you. very traumatic experience and put yourself out there to meet people and like potentially be met with violence. So I was like, let's let's just make fun of all of that, right? Let's make fun of what it means to be an indigenous woman, you know. Now the big matzo ball that's the big matzo ball that's hanging out there right now. Is there an app for indigenous women dating? No, like there's J, no. there's J Date for Jewish. There's I don't know how you doing for Italians. I'm just I just made that up, but I'm just trying to think of something for indigenous cultures. Would there be like I date, or would there be like I don't know. Oh, is the it... the catch line is uh, who's your who's your who's your dad who's your mom who's your dad who's your mom yeah because you're trying to find out who your cousins are you're like who are you related oh, to what is mostly like other cultures as well because you never who who you're related to <laughs> yep uh, now is this show specific to JFL Vancouver or you haven't been running it for a while uh this one this show was made for JFL. And how has that sort of kind of experience been treating you? Is this kind of the first uh, attempt with, with Just for Laughs? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's kind of challenging because like a lot of our initiatives are like community based. So a lot of women who have never tried it before. And so like the pool got really small when I was like, OK, who's actually running mics? Who's actually like working their material? Who's the people that I can like throw up on stage and they can they can work what they have and so then the pool kind of got smaller and we couldn't like bring people in because it's best of west right so like yeah. i would bring people from whitehorse and saskatoon and everything else to like have this like the amazing show that we could have but you know we have an amazing pool of uh amazing talented funny indigenous women here in vancouver so we got together like six six women all together which all have like working sets and are are, are running the game so does the does the umbrella of JFL sort of validify everything that you've done now, or is there more that you need to chew off? Um, I think it's it's the validity is interesting. It makes it challenging because uh, like the community is what makes the comedy the best, right? Like when we have our community members, when we have our res 
res girls out they they drive it you know and so um it's kind of hard to like have to weed out some of those women um but i think it's like it creates an initiative for women to like actually want to try it and work harder and like work their sets more and then we want to uh branch off and get more international play so like jfl really helps with us with this right so we're trying to make connections right. with uh new zealand comedians um you know to like do an exchange to bring some women out there and then bring bring uh some indigenous new zealand women back out here to kind of share that that cultural exchange now as much as all the positivity you have going into it all has there been any kickback has there been any kind of uh sort of not negative, uh, I, I want to say connotations in regards of, of the show being done, but I, as far as the whole, there's the cancer culture wave there, there's the whole, you know, uh, what you can and cannot say on stage and this whole acceptance and as much of a positive space as you create on stage for the indigenous culture, is there any kickback within the culture itself of having a showcase full of women? Yeah. Pretendians, you know, so really? it's like, yeah. So a lot of uh, organizations will put women who have recently claimed their indigeneity and they're like, we want to put this again up. Can you validify her identity by having her on your show? And then I'll look into them and be like, are they indigenous? Are they actually a part of the community? Or are you just putting somebody in front of us so that you can get the postmarker of indigeneity while holding a white person up in that position ah. where, where we would, we as a community would rather see an actual indigenous person who's like rooted in the community and rooted in, in what it means to be indigenous rather than somebody who's trying to find their position in the community. You know, like there's, there's a time and place when you can be a representative. And so like the, the, the representation and the, the influence should be coming from community members rather than uh, reconnecting. You know. Now, as the talent pool you mentioned is growing, I mean, starting off and, and getting into a, a comedy show like this and, and working with a company like just for laughs. I mean, to pry from that, you were talking about, you know, are they the best fit and who's, you know, kind of um, best suited to, to, to showcase on certain festivals like Just for Laughs? Um, how well is your scouting eye for comedians and, and women in, in Indigenous cultures on essentially grooming them or maybe, you know, they're not stage ready yet or, or, or assisting them with like a solid five or maybe allocating a full hour? Um, have you become sort of a, a mentor role for that, a, a coach uh, essentially uh, for other women? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, like I'm still learning. I still call, qualify myself as a, a low, no-name comedian and still like working to figure out my own like style and voice. But we do have uh, like two well-established comedians that kind of like guide the work, which is, is a Kickston and Dakota Ray Hebert. And they've been in comedy for like 10 years, 15 years. And so we kind of rely on them more to help guide us. And then when we're in the group together, everyone's just constantly uh, feeding lines and helping punch up and like, you know, giving feedback constantly, which, which makes everyone that like 
takes part in the workshop like be successful you know there's sometimes there's like one comedian that doesn't quite find it doesn't right. quite find their footing but um you know but that's why we stack our our lineup from like beginner to established you know so that there is that wave in the show that you can like have the potential to bomb and still be okay <laughs> <laughs> now in again in the producer role that you, you kind of are and and a comic yourself i mean how much do you separate your workload from your act your material to focus on putting on a great show and again putting you know kind of the soldiers in place to kind of uh, you know have a, have a kick-ass performance how do you balance your workload between comedian and comedy producer not cultural producer but comedic producer um, it's really challenging because like when I am self-producing, when I'm running everything myself, it's hard to be focusing on um, my set. <laughs> like yeah, the last, I mean, it is a struggle. I mean, yeah, the last festival we were doing, I was literally writing out my my set. Well, I had like four different people coming, asking me questions like, can we do this? Should we do this? I'm like, yes. And then I would write one joke and I'd be like, yes, okay, yeah, we need to do that. Can you flag that? Can you get that going? And then I'd go and write another joke. So it was really challenging to like balance it. So like this working with JFL is uh, such a uh, a relief because it takes a lot of those roles and those hats that I was wearing as a self-producer. And now I'm like, okay, you have your own marketing and your own push. So I can just like, I'm just doing little bits that add to it rather than the whole shebang. And so, yeah, you almost become a like a point of contact for everything when you self-produce. Do you find it easier as a self-producer and and you know someone who has an eye for comedy um, to play the host role as more or less this is what you are showcasing to your audience and you can kind of stand back and kind of beam with with pride and sort of a, a, a parent figure approach like these are the ones I've handpicked for you tonight and kind of you're you're the host you're the the MC of the night. Is that more of a role that you find yourself when it comes to festivals like this and showcases like this? Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. It's, it's, that that makes it like way more enjoyable to like stand back and be like, Oh yeah, this is something we created. This is, this is the, the push that we wanted to have. Now for you, I want to kind of dive into the history and, and your kind of background into comedy, but sort of what brought you here. Um, Rapid fire questions in a way. I call it the rundown. I'll give you a list of questions you kind of answer, if you will. I always say rapid fire because theoretically you should be giving me one word answers, but there'll be an answer. I'll be like, what? And then we go off on another topic. But um, question one, your first comedic influence growing up. Uh, first comedic. Um, I can't remember. Neeson, the airplane guy. Don't call me Shirley. Oh, Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. Nice. <laughs> Favorite comedic movie that you love watching and you can still watch today anytime? Uh, Step Brothers. Oh, nice. Good one. A classic. Even though it came out, I mean, did it come out not too long ago? Is it 10 years ago? I think it's within 10 years. Do you have a favorite club or stage to perform at? Not yet. Not yet? You haven't found your footing? Yeah. No, uh, like uh, China Cloud. Like I really like going to see shows there in Vancouver, but uh, yeah. Now you've been across Canada. Uh, I would ask this question in a way where um, who would be your travel buddy if you had one? Show to show, coast to coast. Who's riding shotgun with you, essentially? Is there another comic uh, out there that you'd love to kind of hang with? N Nicole Atikik. She's an uh, Inuit comedian. 
community. Yeah. Yeah. And is it something that you guys just instantly click when you're together or is it something that you guys can harmoniously shut up and enjoy the silence together? What type of relationship is that? Um, she lets me cry. Well, hey. <laughs> so like that's that's so profound, especially because like, I've been on tour, I've been on the road so much and it's so traumatic. And right. she's just like a person that's just like, it's okay to feel your feelings. And I'm like... <laughs> And so it's it's so good to have that kind of you know s- s- like safe person that I'll be like yeah that's cool you're doing great like yeah you're you're confidant yeah. uh, so yeah. to speak now being again that you're on the road as the life of a stand up comic is there a favorite place or spot that you kind of know or go to that you always have the best grub best thing you've kind of eaten is it a place is it a food that kind of sticks out from touring across this country? Um, no, <laughs> it's kind of all, it's a mishmash of like positive and negatives, you know, are you a sweet tooth or a salty tooth? Salty. As they say salty. So what's sort of the best sort of junk food you kind of dive into? Uh, I do love poutine, anything, anything salty potatoes. I love potatoes, fries. Nice. The one thing you can't live without. One thing I can't live without. Um, Kleenex, napkins. I'm a very crummy person. I eat food and it's everywhere. Okay. I got snacks in my hair later. (laughs) Um, The one thing you are most proud of today? Um, And DigiGirl. Awesome. And the way I kind of cap it all off and kind of end off the, the interview, obviously, is the best advice you ever got in this industry? Uh, just do it. Don't be afraid. Much like Nike, just do it. Get up on yeah. stage and do it. Yeah. Is that something you oh, reiterate? And, uh, don't be afraid of mischief. Don't be afraid of mischief? Who said that to you? Uh, one of my comedian, comedy teachers, they were just like, just don't be afraid of mischief. Like, get into things like, just be mischievous and like poke prod and find find ways of of getting into and making trouble. So now is that something reflective of what you kind of bestow on other comics as well when they sort of are kind of new to the stage? Is that sort of a philosophy you abide by and sort of preach out to younger comics? Uh a little bit, yeah. I, I don't use that term exactly, but I'm always it's always in the back of my mind to encourage people to like not be afraid of to say the things, you know, like everyone is scared of cancel culture, you know, everyone is scared of saying the wrong thing. And so it's like, sometimes, sometimes you just got to say the wrong thing so you can find the right thing to say. So it's, it's I, I part find of that the process. True. No matter what comedy you preach, I find that to be true in, in, in anything. I mean, one of my favorite quotes was from Andy Warhol, who says um, that art is getting away with it is doing something, but you got away with it. You were comics. I mean, you can say all the mischievous things, all the, you know, you can poke the bear as much as you want, but as long as the audience laughs, you got away with it. You did your job. You, you presented it in a way where it was comedic for everyone to enjoy and it wasn't laced and malicious or, or hate, but I mean, it's an art form that has stood the test of time. It's as, old as the king's gesture was and and it's still going today um uh, debbie i thank you so much for your time and i i really uh 
love what you're doing uh, across Canada. Great to see that you're with JFL. Good luck tonight and your upcoming shows. Uh, if there's anything you kind of want to leave a mark on moving and moving forward, I mean, from here and, and, and continue on your comedy journey, what's sort of uh, the long lasting impression that everybody would want to know about Debbie? Um, that uh, more, more indigenous women are, are producing because of what I started. There you go. It's like, yeah, you've, you've people open doors, but I think you've opened sort of floodgates for a lot of people. And it's great to see um, shows like this being accepted and being showcased because much like everything else, all cultures should be embraced. And it's no different than any of the cultures we, we mentioned earlier before. So I thank you so much for your time. Congrats on all the success and uh, hope to see each other down the road. Yeah, definitely. Thanks awesome. Thank time. you so much for your time. Yeah.